Welcome back to the Hard Parking Podcast. This is your host, Jay Finning. This is a special bonus edition. Before you go any further, go ahead and hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening to us on. We're going to have five of these episodes talking about The Last Dance, which is the 1997 to 1998 docuseries by ESPN and Netflix covering the Chicago Bulls' sixth championship run. Joining me today is Corey Harrison of the Out of Bounds podcast. Richard DeGunde, the actor machine on Instagram, has been on a past episode, Hollywood actor, as well as a good friend of mine, Brian Kalma, who used to talk sports every day at work when we should have been working. This episode was recorded Monday, April 20th. Hope you enjoy episode one of the Hard Parking Podcast bonus edition, The Last Dance. My name is Michael Jordan. I play professional basketball for the Chicago Bulls. 32 seconds to go. A one-point lead for Georgetown. Gordy the Black. The tie, 18. So once again, just officially, I want to introduce, we got Brian Kalma from Seattle, lives up here in Phoenix, big time sports fan, one of my good friends. We got Victor DeGunde, needs no introduction, fellow podcaster, Corey Harrison. For some of us, this is this is our third time talking, Corey, our second time, Victor, first time, Brian. Earlier, I was making some food in the kitchen. I started thinking, because, you know, one thing at least two of you know about me is once I get into something, I like really get into something. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, you know... The whole Pippin contract and stuff. And we'll get to this later. But there was something that they didn't mention, and hopefully they did. So I started thinking about this because there's a certain timeline. So Jerry Krause, he originally, he didn't really want to renegotiate with Scotty because he was trying to save his money for Tony Kukoc because in the 1990 NBA draft, they drafted Tony Kukoc with their second round pick. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to save all that extra money for him just in case he decided to come over to the NBA. So that started a bunch of that static between Krause and Pippen going back to 1990. So if you think about it at the time, they still hadn't won a championship because technically their first chip was the 90-91 season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they had just got beat in the playoffs again by Detroit. So now they're thinking, look at this prototypical, you know, Euro guy. You know, he's got everything. He's 6'11". He's got all the handles. He's got the height. You know, he's uh, the white Magic Johnson over there, the Croatian sensation. And we got Scotty, whose first contract is about to expire. And that's where that static probably really started way back when. I I remember hearing about the the cool coach drama. Yeah, because Uh, that's why Scotty and Michael shut him down in the Olympics, because they wanted to prove to Kraus and Reinsdorf that you need to take care of us first. Yeah. And then, of course, Scotty starts thinking, well, I'm expendable. I'm going to go ahead and get this money while it's in front of me. And so he took the money instead of the short-term contract. So that's just kind of one of those things. Because if you think about the, the course of their career, he, saw, he had issues with Coach for the first three or four years until Jordan came back. Because remember, he sat out that one game, game three of the uh, playoffs. He didn't want to go in for the final play because Phil Jackson called the play for Tony, which ended up hitting that final shot and winning the game. So there's, there's been drama there the whole time. So I thought I wanted to kind of open up on stuff like that. So what do you guys think? We'll start from the top going down. You know, what is your initial takeaway from episodes one and two? And then we'll get into some actual topics. Brian, what is your takeaway from that? My biggest takeaway, man, was um, was more so about Scottie Pippen than Michael Jordan. Because I knew that there was like, there was some beef with Jerry Krause and a lot of the star players on the Bulls. I just didn't know how much, you know. 
But I think the biggest thing that stood out to me was that statistic yesterday that they said that at some point in like 1996, 1997, he was the 122nd highest paid player in the league. That was, that was shocking. That and and yeah, that that, that was just that, that blew my mind. You know what I'm saying? Because at the time, Pippen was probably what top ten at least, right? Easily top ten player in the league at that point in time. And the guy's 122nd on the salary list. That that just that just blew my mind. I could not believe that. All right, Victor. Now that you've had some time to think since we talked earlier and yesterday, <laughs> you got anything? Like my man said, the biggest takeaway was Pippen. You know, I've always 10, 15 years, I've always have been the one to say that this Jordan narrative has been askew because no one has ever really given Pippen his credit. Right. I've always said for years that in today's league, Pippen would have been a max contract dude Mm -hmm. and they never would have been able to afford those two guys together with a rock. Like I've always said that like those six rings that run was on the, on the back of of Scottie Pippen. And I think after last night, I think the world better understands that in a way they didn't before. But with that said, I was shocked at how low he was paid and how that was a fluke in, in, in helping that whole dynasty be what it was. For a sense of perspective, this season, Chandler Parsons makes more money for one season than Scottie Pippen's entire contract situation. <laughs> Corey, what do you yeah, got? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I heard what you said earlier. And from what you said earlier about Scottie Pippen not really being been forgotten because, you know, Jordan at his Hall of Fame speech, like you, you know, alluded to before, had pretty much blessed him already. Had already said that this wouldn't have happened without Scottie Pippen. We didn't need this documentary to see that. We, mm-hmm. we already knew that. And even during the documentary, the players are basically saying how much they needed Scottie Pippen. So the importance was there. And then I'm going to even drop this bum on you. That contract was his fault. He didn't have to sign that contract. That All right. Me, like, this is, that was his fault. So we're going we're gonna to get to that a little bit later. In all the videos, you never just saw me. So Scotty Pippen, every championship I won. I started listening to some sports today. And one thing that I had learned is that the producers were told to make the first two episodes the way they made them. The quote was, make it understandable to teenagers and friends and other people. So the people at Netflix instructed them to get super remedial and tell us basically most of the stuff we already knew. It's like, approach this as if nobody knows who Michael Jordan is. So they were basically building up his persona for the rest of the docuseries. And for a lot of famous people, privileged people, so nobody on this call, they've seen most, if not all of it already. And they say that these first two episodes were the the worst two. So if you like these two episodes, you're going to love the rest of the documentary. So that's, that's that's a major bomb. So. Some of the stuff we've we've complained about before, I don't suspect it's going to go that way for the rest. I still expect it to be maybe 60% Jordan Citric, but maybe it's not going forward. Maybe it's everybody. Well, the The thing is, they dropped in this, these two, you can already tell it's going to be 
next level. Right. And, and the thing about it is, though, you got to think about it is I had read somewhere that, you know, because they said it during the intro yesterday that they gave them all access in order to document everything on film during the actual season. Right. Yeah. And so they pretty much sat on this footage for 20 years. So you think about that. And in 20 years, how many basketball fans out there never had the chance to actually watch Michael Jordan play on TV or live? So I think it does make sense, though, that they start off the docuseries by, hey, who are the, you know, who's the Batman and Robin of this team? Right. Because, you know, basketball fans, you know, if you're hardcore, but if you're if you're the younger generation that was born like in the 2000s, let's just say about to turn like 18, 19, 20 years old, they have never seen MJ or Pippen play ever. Yeah. It's almost like mythology, right? It's like, yeah. you know, so I was born in 1981, but then everybody's like, man, if you ever seen Elgin Baylor play, if you ever saw uh, Oscar Robinson, you know, and, you know, uh, averaging triple doubles, like, man, I don't know, man. Cause like, yeah. that, that wasn't my generation. You know what I mean? I grew up in the, you know, the MJ Pippen, Rain Man Glove, Stock Yeah, John Stark's era. That was my era, right? So a lot of these kids, you know, are probably watching this docuseries like, man, like what people were saying is probably true because you didn't have that much access. You didn't have that much footage on like 70s and 80s and like older NBA. But like in the 90s, you had it all, right? I mean, I thought I thought they opened it up perfectly, honestly, with, you know, making it biographical those first two episodes. To add some perspective to that, I kind of suffered the same thing with Larry Bird. You're like, ah, oh, this guy, I don't know. He's, you know, playing a different era, although it was, uh, you know, the 80s. So he was still kind of there. And then they started doing those hardwood classics. And I was watching one of those games. And I was like, holy shit. Yeah. This dude's moving around. He's just, he's all over the place, you know. And I just, not that I didn't have respect for him. But when I saw I was like, man, he could, he could play today. He could play today. I don't know about Jerry West dribbling with one hand in a circle, but <laughs> right, right. Bird. Yeah. So, but I mean, it's true too, like with magic, right. Cause like, like I said, magic, when he retired, it was like what, 1991, right. Right before the year before the Barcelona Olympics. And he had retired already by then because he had contracted AIDS. Right. Yeah. So when I got, when I started to get hardcore into watching sports, I had probably only seen maybe one or two solid seasons of magic Johnson. You know what I mean? So, I mean, kind of the same thing. I almost feel like we were all cheated because Magic was what in his early to mid thirties at that point. He was point. in his prime, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And I told Corey on his podcast, I was a guest of his yesterday. I really wasn't into basketball, you know, growing up until I was in high school and I was a freshman, and people made fun of me. Like I was the guy that they picked up to for even teams, no lie. And, you know, <laughs> you know, what comes with that is you're the scrub. You're the guy who can't catch a rebound and they pass the ball at you and, you know, you blow wide open layups and people just kept talking mad shit to me. And I was just like, man, I'm better than that. And then I went out and I got Michael Jordan's come fly with me, man. And <laughs> I went from, yeah, I'm not, I, I used to, Victory, remember yeah, that basketball goal in the back of my house? I used to practice jumping, trying to dunk on that and, you know, jumping through the living room. And by the time I was halfway through my sophomore year playing in the summer with my, you know, you know, classmates, people I grew up with, I'm out jumping everybody. I'm dunking the ball. Right. And so I fell in love with Jordan at that point. And then as you know, obviously the Bulls came with it. And then when people started saying I played a lot like Scotty, then Scotty came with it. My, my take has always been as far as like athletes are concerned is uh, 
I've never been a big fan of comparing different errors because, mm-hmm. like, I'm the kind of guy who believes the dopest NCAA team of today can probably match up with, like, you know, NBA champions of, of 1985. Like, that's just how my mind has always worked in terms of athleticism, right? So, yeah, there were their exceptions, you know, the Birds, the Magics, obviously Jordan, you know, uh, the Kareems, you know, but for the most part, I think the athleticism, maybe I'm a, um, a minority in thinking this, but I think that the athleticism of today... All minorities. <laughs> thinking the same thing, man. Yeah, I, 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 think, I think the athleticism of today's player is just as good, if not better, than yesteryear. Now, people can argue that, you know, with a Steph Curry make it back then? Would a LeBron make it back then? And I'm like, LeBron was built like a linebacker. If he needed to put his hands on people, I really think he could. And I really think he would have been able to survive that era. People disagree with that because people want to be nostalgic and whatever. But like, that's just my, that's always been my take on athletes comparing athleticism of today and yesteryear. So I agree with you. So LeBron... I keyed him as the first big guy to have a fadeaway layup because he never wanted to go in strong until, you know, he he does now. But that was one of my big criticisms on him, especially when he got to Miami and he couldn't, you know, get past J.J. Barea. He let J.J. Barea post him up. But he finally developed some of that. He used his strength because at first, if you think about it, he wasn't dunking on nobody either. You know, he'd go in there and he'd miss a dunk if there was two people in the lane. But, yeah, he could play at any era. Corey, so what do you think about, and we had your opinion on this earlier, and we'll go, we'll go with Corey, Brian, and then and Victor. Jerry Krause says, Phil goes 82-0, and 0, you out. I don't care. Uh, like you said before, I mean, he, I mean or in, like they say in the docu-series, you know, he, he just seemed like he was a lot full of himself and not getting the credit because he was um, one of the ones that put that team together. And you see that Michael was getting a lot of credit. Scotty was getting credit. But Jerry, Jerry Krause never really – a lot of people won't even know who Jerry Krause is today. Even after I – mean, even when they looked at the docuseries, they're like, oh, okay, this is the person that put this together. Like, if you, you know, think about it, not a lot of people know who general managers are. And, you know, that's, you know, that's the art of, you know, working behind the scenes and putting, you know, behind the season scenes and putting things like that together. You know, you're not going to get a whole lot of credit anyway. But so with Phil Jackson getting a lot of credit for keeping those guys and those attitudes the, in check or whatever, I mean, he was a masterful coach. I mean, I couldn't think of any other coach that could have dealt with the, those different personalities but Phil Jackson. And for him to, you know, even say that, you know, he just needed to just basically stop taking so much of himself in the, into the equation. It's a team effort. You know, you was a general manager. You took that job. You knew that what that was going to entail, that you was not going to be in the spotlight. And for him to break up that team, like that, I mean, they said in the documentary, I think that team at least deserved to come back and defend what nobody else took. Brian, what are your thoughts when you heard yeah. 82 and 0 means nothing? Yeah, I, I, I was shocked by that statement, too, because, like, number one, it's a different world nowadays, right? 20, 25 year, years down the line, because, like, rarely do you ever get lame duck coaches anymore. Like, the only one that I can think of in recent memory right now is Mike D'Antoni, because this upcoming season is supposed to be his final season. It's out there in the public that it's his final season, but it was, it's not like he's out no matter what after this, after this season, right? I can see it to where if Mike D'Antoni can coach the Houston Rockets to an NBA championship, I can damn well see 
that he might get an extension. But Derek Krause was just so definitive about that statement, you know, and yes, it, 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 you know, in pieces of the documentary, they said that he should get credit for assembling that team as it was because it won so many championships. Yeah, kudos to him. But, you know, the other thing that I agree with that was said, too, was that he just couldn't get out of his own way. Right. I think it was either yeah, um, Jock Paxson who said that. Right. Who said that, right? Wennington. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, Steve yeah. Kerr said that. Oh, Steve, Kerr, Steve Kerr? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 I thought it was either Kerr or Paxson or one of those guys. But, you know, even though he did a tremendous job of putting the talent together, um, that he just couldn't get out of his own way. The other thing, though, that kind of got me, too, was that if if Scotty was so miffed about his contract situation, what was his agent doing at the time? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because outs, And I think that they had, they had stated, like, you know, really quickly that at the beginning of that 97 or 90. What was it? 96, 97 season, right? When they took that uh, trip to, to France and they did that Euro tournament, they had said that Scotty was out due to his injury and that Rodman was out due to a holdout. So why didn't Scotty do the same thing, right? Just I mean, at the, at the end of the day, they all led points back to Scotty Pippen. He the one put his name right. on that contract. Right. We can well, talk about the agent. We can talk about other people. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. <laughs> So go ahead, go ahead, Vic. I always grew up hearing the myth about the little man Napoleon syndrome, and I personally never met anybody like that. I never understood that. Then six years ago, I met a cat in this group that I run with that is everything you ever thought one of these little motherfuckers would be, and and I would I have just watched it over the years of how this dude would just manifest this deep hatred and insecurity of being little. So watching the documentary last night, I got it. This dude had such a deep hatred and such a insecurity about his height. Like, it's no coincidence that he said, I'm going to be the boss of athletic men that are bigger than me and show them no respect to the point where... I'm going to cut off my nose to spy my face. If you, Even if you go 82-0 and 0 and win a championship, we're still going to get rid of you because I don't feel like none of y'all appreciate me. That is on some psychological shit that like people really don't understand. And, and it took some balls to say that, right? Because yeah. it's about one of the best teams in the history of the league, in the history of the sport, with all the people that are on that team. And he was he was ready to stand his ground, right? Yeah, and, and you Crazy. know, and, and and here's the the thing is, you know, I live in LA. I, I know a lot of people in front of the camera. I know a lot of people behind the camera. And the thing that I've always had, I've had a deep admiration for people behind the cameras, especially like music producers, music writers. And you know what, man? There are people who have produced and written music for the biggest stars of the world. You don't know their names. And the mentality of it, as long as them checks cash, as long as the right people know who I am in in this little world, that's all I give a fuck about. And Jerry Krause, not to to heed that, trust me, the people in the league would have known who he was and he would have never needed to have another job again in his life. 
You know what I'm saying? And so to let his ego get ahead of him to dismantle that, like this dude is going to go down as one of the most hated sports figures of all time after this shit's over. <laughs> no, it's, I it's, really uh, think he it's, will. it's possible. That's an excellent segue into this next little part I want to talk about. He was kind of rude and didn't give a fuck, but they said he was really nice. But I think a big part of it is there was a lot of disrespect going back and forth. We saw Jordan kind of bullying them. And and I think as I opened this this podcast, you know, he and Scotty have been going back and forth since 1990 at least. So it started then. And we know that there's all sorts of jabs going on behind the scenes. So I think some of his rigidness may have been like, I'm going to show you guys. You guys treat me like shit. I'm the one with the power. I'm the one who decides what's going on as opposed to, and we'll never know, but you know, they always say be nice to that person in the office that everybody else is mean to. Right. You know, it could be one of those type of deals psychologically. I'm not giving them an out, but I understand how people work and how their brains work. And that could have been a part of it because they said that by the time he said that to Phil Jackson, because remember, he didn't want to bring him back at all. Tim Floyd was already there. Yep. And Reinsdorf was like, yo, you sure about this? And then, yeah. you know, he has to get up there in front of the mic, says, well, we're bringing him back. But this is his last season, but we're bringing him back. Right. And, you know, so at that point, his relationship with Phil Jackson had already come to, like Phil said, irreconcilable. And so Phil's mad because all he's done is one. Jordan, who's super loyal to Phil's mad, and he already disrespects Krause as it is. So now he really doesn't like Krause. And then Scotty, who's had issues with him, now he's like, okay, Zen master getting in these fights michael's getting in these fights i'm gonna say whatever i want to say too Mm -hmm. and i think that's why he had he felt that he had the the okay sort of to just lash out on on the bus because that's something that just i was like he did what what do you think would happen like Corey, Corey, what do you think would happen in today's nba if if a player were addressing the coach or the general manager that way i mean with the with the day and age it is now with uh you know social media whatever Man, I just I I don't you you would probably wouldn't see that happen in this day and time just because of you know, so many people being mindful of what they're saying in front of people because of social media. But I just I just wouldn't think that anything like that would, you know, even fly in you know, this day and time at all. That was obviously frustration. It's on a team bus, so chances are it's not on social media yet. Yeah. Is he Antonio Brown? Is he Terrell Owens? No, uh, well, they, they, I remember that one. You remember that one scuffle, scuffle he had in that locker room in Philadelphia. No, yeah, I, I think that. I think I think that happens to every degree, to a certain degree on on every team. You know what I mean? Like lashing out. I mean, we don't know this. You know the the, the particulars about like how you know uh, Pippen went or what was specifically said. You know what I mean? But you know to touch on what you were saying, uh, Jay. Rhinestone or Ryan, what's his what's the owner's name? Yeah, <laughs> he said early on in the documentary, when I was looking to hire a new GM, people told me, Don't oh, fuck with right. this dude. Yep. So you already cause you were alluding to maybe the relationship with these guys and the way he was treated kind of hardened him. But if, according to the owner, he came in with some type of weird chip on his shoulder. Yeah. That's true. Well, Reinsdorf did say he wasn't trying to hire somebody on the grounds of a popularity contest, right? Yeah. Somebody was going to get the job done. And here's the other thing, though, just to kind of go back to Jay's question, what would happen if that kind of, you know, that kind of exchange took place like on a bus or whatever? Would the GM be 
as stable as they could be given these types of circumstances because you hear about a lot now how GMs are on the hot seat, coaches are on the hot seat. And it doesn't take much, right? It doesn't take a whole lot of time either. So that kind of goes back to my point about we're living in a different age now when it comes to sports. One other thing that I that I also noticed and kind of tying it back to like, you know, the the contract situation with Pippen was, you know, he waited almost all seven years until he threatened to leave. So I almost think that back then there was more of a loyalty to stay with your team. You know, um, GMs had a little bit more staying power, right? Because maybe there was loyalty between the owner and the GM, where I don't think you see that that much now because all the power is in the player's hands. If your superstar player is unhappy, they don't want the coach that, that, that's that's in the room with them. Right? I mean, look at, look at LeBron, right? Like how many coaches did he go through between Cleveland and Miami, right? Because... Uh, when he went to Miami, it was Bolstra ultimately. He goes back to Cleveland and then David Blatt's there. Well, you know, they go to the finals. That's not good enough. David Blatt's out. Why? Because LeBron, he's the man. He came home. He doesn't want David Blatt as a head coach. So I think it's a much different situation now where if the GM was was mixed up in that sort of exchange with, with somebody on the team, I would say GM would be out. Uh, Well, you know, to answer the question, I don't think it would have gotten that far in today's league in terms of uh, the number two on a team lashing out like that. And here's why I say that. If you look at all the three sports, football, GM, coach run, baseball, GM run, basketball, player run. Like the other two sports, now it's the head office now. It's the head office and the coaching that makes a winning or losing squad. In basketball, all you need is one cat to take you from 13 and 62 to playoffs or championship. All you need is one cat. And I think now GMs know that. And so, yeah, did did Scotty sign a bad deal? And maybe we'll get on that later. But I think, I think that uh, a GM would have capitulated and I think he would have um I think he would have given him a, a, a an extension. I think he would have given him a, a, a backloaded extension, you know, to give him his money. You, you know, I just I don't think it would have gotten to that level in the NBA now. We might as well just hit on it right now. So Scottie Pippen, based on, I did a little bit of research. So he had a contract and it sounded like this was actually a contract extension as opposed to a new contract. So he signs a contract extension, seven years, eighteen million. Based on what I said earlier about the Tony Kukoc and the insecurities, you know, do you blame him? Because it's easy to say it's his fault because it is, but do you really blame him for signing blame. the contract? No, nah, you know, 18 mil back then, that was a lot of money up front, guaranteed. Because the NBA is a guaranteed contract. We don't want another. I mean, we saw what happened with yeah. Allen Houston. That and that was before the TV money came in because no one knew the TV money would get like that. So I understood why Pippen signed that contract. I wish he would have bet on himself and took something shorter. But at the same time, again, it goes back to the ownership and management. Like he outplayed it. And, and, you know, he outplayed the contract, like break them off. You know what I mean? Period. Corey. You know, it happens all the time. Cats get cut all the time. 
you, you know what I mean? Like they don't, they don't honor deals. NBA though so, is guaranteed, unlike the NFL. So you, yeah, don't, I mean, yeah. you, you don't blame him for taking it. You understand. I, I understand a poor ass brother from Arkansas with seven siblings, two in a wheelchair, wanting that guaranteed Daddy in a money. Wheelchair. Yeah, in the wheelchair. Right? Dad in a wheelchair and brother in a wheelchair. Yep. Some shit fell on him, right? Wrestling. Wrestling. His brother was wrestling. Wrestling. Yeah, that's why I don't fuck with wrestling. I get it. And that's and you know what? There are there are young men that are about to be drafted tomorrow or whenever the NFL draft that are in the same financial circumstances. That needed there needed to be an agent in his ear. Yeah, yeah. Just said something different. When the owner is telling you, we understand you know why the mean? owner was saying that. Though Corey, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I'm I'm kind of um, the same way. I mean, I, I was in the beginning kind of critical about the the whole. You know, ultimately he signed it himself. But you're thinking about the um, the other side. You know, just like he said, coming from the background he came from, and having to deal with you know some of his life issues outside of basketball. And just thinking about, like, man, you know, if I get injured or something happens to me, you know, this shit is over. But because don't remember, complain. He, they they hadn't won yet. Yeah, but but then again, don't complain later on when when everything started getting better. I mean, he did tell you, well, they you know, don't come back. No, nah, well, there ain't nothing wrong with complaining, <laughs> Brian. <laughs> no. Yeah, so I'm kind of the same way. So like. When it comes to the reasons why he took it, and he was forthright about it, he said, like, these guys that I already mentioned, what if I get injured, you know? Um, yeah, I understand it to that point. You want something that is going to be long-term. Seven years is a long time, right? But I think that I'm also of the mindset of, again, where was his agent, you know? Because where was his representation in trying to read the market at that point in time? Because I also think, like, if that were me, and I saw that coming down the pike, I would have thought, uh, you know, to talk to my agent if I was Scotty and be like, hey, so when does the CBA run out and what does it look like is coming down the pike with the CBA? And will, you know, will salaries be able to be raised by that point in time? If it's coming in a short amount of time, less than that seven years that they first offered him, then I would have been like, OK, let's do three years, four years, 20 million, you know. Um, something to that effect, something that expires before that new CBA. So that when that new CBA comes around and then there's a spike in the uh, salaries that that players can make. Now let's renegotiate and let's get my, uh, you know, my value up to market. On the other side of that, though, what's done is done. Seven years, 18 million dollars. Well, how do you supplement that income? Because we all know that. How did MJ make a lot of his money outside of his NBA contract? Endorsements. Right. So was Scotty not an endorsable? Yeah, right. Exactly. A gym right. Before I am. Right. Exactly. But what else did MJ have? Gatorade, McDonald's, Haynes. Right. And then Scotty had what? You know, so I mean, I don't put the full blame on him. I look at it as, OK, what did his representation do in order to be able to supplement, what you know, that contract that he signed? Because they must have known at some point soon after it was signed that, man, you know, he's he's getting underpaid for the amount of production that he's putting out there, especially when they started winning championships. Right. But he was just stuck under that rock of that seven year contract. My thing is this. I mean, like, say, for instance, you purchase a, a vehicle and you get a, a really, really good deal on the vehicle. And then the seller comes back and say that, hey, man, I could have got more money from, you know, somebody else. You know, let me get that back. Or they, I mean, it's the same situation. Like, you know, you ain't going to get that money back. Right? But, but I never understood why. Like, take take the Lakers dynasty. Right. The Lakers have always been able to successfully 
attract big time talent, right? And one of the reasons is because of the way the ownership has been able to handle players, right? And I think yeah, the front office is that strong. drama Was that strong. went down makes a lot more sense as to why the Bulls had that run and we never have heard of them again. They had Derrick Rose, but even they did Derrick Rose dirty. They didn't have to play him that last game to where he blew out his Achilles, right? Or blew out, you know, he ruptured his knee. But what I'm saying is, is like clearly the the treatment of the two biggest stars in the world obviously circle around NBA circles to the point where if you don't have to be in Chicago, don't go to Chicago. And I think the fact of not treating Scottie Pippen right and renegotiating that contract and getting them that money, like think of all the sellouts. They went from the traveling circus cowboy, with cocaine cowboys, you know what I mean, to the Chicago Bulls, all on the backs of these two, and you still are going to be that rigid. People see that. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it would, and I, and I get, we live in this, this idea that like, yeah, business is business. If you sign that contract, you're going to live and die on that contract. But man, if you want to be forward thinking and show the rest of the players in the league, like this is how we take care of our players. It would behoove you to have redone that contract and treated the man with respect that way you're not in the situation you are today. Chicago really hasn't been relevant other than those, those couple of years with D Rose. Chicago's been what, you know? I'll add my my two cents before moving on. I don't blame him for taking that contract. We understand why he took it, but you know, the support system around him failed him and <laughs> you know, the front office to everyone's point essentially failed him because when you're rolling you got to look at your players and say, okay, well, whose contract is coming up? Who should, you know, who's, who's vastly underpaid? And obviously free agency is nowhere then like it is now. So we're kind of playing, you know, the result, but they should have done a better job of, of trying to take care of them. And I think that the whole thing wouldn't have fell apart the way it did. I don't blame Krauss for that as much. I just blame everybody for that. And, and Jerry Reinstorf is trying to, you know, skate away free here. Then you're the owner. I mean, this is your, this is the contract. That's it. I'm going to teach you a lesson. You shouldn't have signed that contract. You know, that's bullshit. Yeah, I do kind of think that's a little revisionist history on this part. Yep, that's that's bullshit. Um, yeah, what, what, what I, what I want to say, I mean, my last little uh, point on that, they, they were not at liberty to do that, but they could have done it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because the news and media, it's nowhere like it is now. Because now you'd have to cave to, to public, you know, public pressure. Like, let's go back and talk a little bit about, I got two more big things I want to talk about. They showed us a lot from North Carolina. And again, we know why now they wanted to introduce to someone who was just born yesterday, who Michael Jordan is. And a lot of that footage I've seen before, but I don't remember the James Worthy story. And I thought that was pretty funny that that MJ wanted to play him and wouldn't let him leave practice. And he said yeah. he, was, he was better than him for two weeks. Yeah. 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 All right. What's your response on that? And we'll, we'll stop from the, on the top of my screen. It's uh, we'll go with Brian, then Victor and then uh, Corey. Yeah. I mean, you always hear about like this, you know, indomitable will to win. Right. I mean, just imagine like the biggest thing that stuck out to me during that, you know, during those pieces where they're showing the North Carolina days was this was a freshman coming in. This was a guy who got cut his sophomore year of high school, played varsity his junior year. And then he comes into North Carolina and he's just, you know, just coming in with his, you know, with his hair on fire. You know what I mean? So, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those things where I think that as, you know, 
as somebody who grew up watching 90s basketball, you know, I love Jordan for that because you hear of not just basketball games, but you hear about like card games, you hear about him golfing. And it doesn't matter what it is. As long as it's a competition, he is going to win. If he's not the best on day one, then two weeks later, he will be. The only other player uh, that I saw that even like that even scratched the surface with, with Jordan's will is Kobe Bryant. And I wasn't a Kobe Bryant fan growing up. I respected him towards the end of his career because I started to realize that guys like Jordan in that era were dying with Kobe when Kobe retired. So hold on. I felt the exact same way. And I got really sad when Kobe was retiring. I was like, you know what? I haven't been very fair to this guy, but he's right. like, when he goes, that's Jordan's gone because that's he's it. Jordan 2.0. Yeah, that's right. And that era of playing basketball, because it's not just it wasn't just Jordan, but, you know, uh, I think him and Charles Barkley said it, too, out in public. Whereas, you know, the difference between like 90s basketball and 2000s and, you know, later basketball is that all those Hall of Famers and superstars never wanted to team up. You always had your dynamic duos of a lot of teams. Right. But a lot of them were there either by draft or by trade. Uh, you know, rarely did you ever see people team up together like big three, things like that. So I thought that like Kobe and Jordan, to me, were the epitome of that attitude win at all costs, you know? And so, yeah, so you see it like in the, in the footage of his beginnings over at North Carolina. And it's, it's impressive, man. He had it from day one. That's the thing that stuck out to me the most. So I wanted to say one thing that I've always kind of run to raise the BS flag on those old schoolers, especially because they were so critical of LeBron going to Miami with Wade, with Bosch, which by the way, Miami got bounced from the playoffs year before. So it's not like they were really any good because Wade sat there on the press conference. There's not going to be two more of this. He basically threatened them right then. And then, you know, he get the team together. I understand. I don't think Jordan would have ever left to team up. He said from day one, he wants to bring people to Chicago. I think he would have been ecstatic if Charles came over. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that for sure. Yeah. For so sure. I want to call the BS flag on a lot of these old schoolers because the, you know, the, the free agency wasn't like it was, but at the end of the day, everybody just wants to win. At right. whatever cost. And so if you, I'm going to be an alpha. If you want to come help me, come help me. We'll do this together. I mean, they did go get Dennis. Yeah, they <laughs> did go get Dennis. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. All right, Vic, what's up? I think um, being able to see how the greats, like when, when Larry Bird, everybody knew Larry Bird was like Larry Bird. Right. You know what I mean? Yep. Larry Bird talked more shit than anybody. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? In Boston, white boy in the 80s. He begs so for Larry Bird to be like, yo, that yep. wasn't Jordan. That was that was God disguised as Michael Jordan. It That really hit to where, wow, like when I thought of Jordan, I've never thought of Jordan as this sensation of that he was as a rookie. Like I witnessed the LeBron sensation where it was like, this dude just came in with was automatically great, lived up to all the hype, right? He did. Although Jordan didn't have that hype, the fact that he was being anointed early on. Oh, yeah, like within the, the first handful of games by the entire locker room. That was pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah. That was that was that was pretty cool to see because I never I never knew that they thought of him in such high regard so early. You know, when deep He's the pros pro. What? He's the pros pro. Clyde Drexler said that. I don't know if it's Michael Jordan airtime or, or Michael Jordan's playground, but he had said that that Jordan is the pros pro. That's who they watch when they're not playing. Yeah. And um, when, you know, the coach you want to play for, Dean Smith, when he was like, 
you, you, you never hear coaches like asking their players to go to the league, telling them to go to the league. That was really remarkable to me. Like, that's the kind of coach you want to play for. Because any other coach would have been like, nah, stay, help me win another chip so I can put another, you know, I can catch another bag. And so for Jordan, who wanted to stay a senior year, for his coach to recommend that he go, that was uh, that was eye opening. What are your thoughts, uh, Corey, on on the the throwback to the UNC years? So for me, we already knew, um, you know, Jordan's um, mental toughness was was there, Um, but it couldn't, you know, like with the documentary and the way it was put together with the introduction, you know, based on what you said, you know, this is put together based on no one knows about who Michael Jordan was, but it basically it, it already defined it for me. I already knew that Michael Jordan had this, this, uh, you know, mentality that I'm going to, you know, win at all costs. I mean, they, if you go back to you know, the, the little playground um, basketball that he used to play with his brothers, you know, they was actually physically fighting, you know, when they would lose basketball games. So it all started, you know, at a young age and it just kept transitioning to, you know, every level and it got higher and higher. So, I mean, for me, it didn't really, you know, sh- you know, shock me that he would want to, you know, do something like that. I'm, I'm surprised that they won't. I'm, I'm interested to see if they're going to go into more details and more stories about his mental toughness and, you know, what all what all he did to try to win something. I guess my takeaway is because James Worthy was already an established player on that team, and you have this raw freshman coming in, and within two weeks of beating him in practice, he all of a sudden he's beating you. I didn't realize that his ability to learn and adjust was that fast that early. Yeah. I was like, damn, he said two weeks. Basically, two weeks. That, that was, that, that was crazy. Mid-season. <laughs> he <laughs> said after two weeks, I'm like, good after God. James Worthy, he's no, he's no scrub. I think we all they're know not that. that much, they're, they're, they're not that much uh, far apart in age, are they? No, I think they're like two years. Maybe like a couple years. Um, like that, I think Worthy was a senior when uh, was he a senior when as a freshman? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and I think Sam Perkins was on that team too. Perkins Sam was Perkins. on that team. Yep, like, Perkins was on. Uh, There's a few people on that team yeah. with him. Can yeah, you imagine? I know, team, I, I, I know. this is off topic. Could, can you imagine the Mavericks? They they pick Perkins. They pick right after Jordan. <laughs> right, or, right. Like, how do you feel like if you if you if you're a Maverick fan? <laughs> well, like if you're if you're a Blazers fan, it's oh yeah, that's number me. two. You know, yeah. what I mean? well they you know they talked about that, and I think that because it's easy for us to criticize the pick of Bowie. You know, it's hard to criticize Elijahwan, but you understood that they. Yeah. You know, it's like you never want to pick somebody incoming. If you that's, that hasn't proven themselves when you have what you think is a bona fide star. And I mean, Clyde Drexler, he was really good in the league for a long time. And Bowie was, he was on the all rookie team. He just started getting hurt. Yeah. So you, you understood the pick. So that's one thing that, cause you're, you know, well, I mean, too, home. like they said that they said Portland had the need for a center too. It's it like you said, they already had Clyde. Yeah. And that that's was, the, well, that was too. exactly yep. what I was going to say. Like yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. The picks like, make oh, sense. He's not a big man, so he's not going to make an immediate impact. You know, and it's like, wow, that's that's crazy how that mentality was back then. It's know? not a Darko Milicic type of thing. Um, oh, one more thing before we, uh, I got one more final question for us, but I want to, I'm going to drop kind of a food for thought on Jordan because you guys know I love Michael Jordan, but one thing that never really gets talked about is when he hits that final shot as a freshman. I mean, there's still some time on that clock. I want to say like eight to 12 seconds. You know, it was was a buzzer beater. Yeah. And (laughs) and we forget about that. I think I'm like, wait a minute. There's still time on that clock, you know? Yeah. Final thing that I want to talk about. What's something you, you either forgot 
or you did not know before going into these first two episodes? I didn't I didn't know how bad that, that relationship with Jerry Krause was. I knew they talked about it a little bit. And, I, and like I said, the last championship that they won, I was 11 years old. And then, I, you know, anything that I've learned after that has been when I gotten older. But I didn't know how bad that relationship was and how toxic it was and why that team was broken up in detail until now. Victor? Yeah, um, same. I, I, I knew it wasn't perfect. You know, I, I had heard. I never knew the details. But for me, I've always been a, a champion of, of Scottie Pippen. And I just never knew how underpaid he was. I never knew that. And and to know that it was locked in for seven years, bro, that's like we're going to play Clay Thompson league minimum and Steph and we're going to have this run of the Warriors. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like I, I never that that was the biggest shock to me because it, it makes sense. And that run will never happen again. Now you said they got got guys like that making that in the season. Yeah, that will never happen again. Not even good guys either. Brian, what what, what is something you learned or or forgot about? So, I mean, like 97 was a long time ago, right? So I had completely forgotten that uh, Scotty was out of the lineup for a while, right? So... Just knowing the details of waiting until right before training camp to get that uh, that surgery, and then the type of uh, the type of effect it had on MJ, and the thing that I really appreciated about that segment during the documentary last night was how candid he was about it. That even though not long before he stated it, he said that Scottie Pippen was the best teammate he had ever had. But later on, when they were covering that injury, you know, MJ was you know candid enough to say, you know what. Scotty was wrong by doing that. You know, he could have gotten the surgery right after the previous season, after we won the fifth championship, you know, and we would have been ready to go by training camp and at the start of the season, you know, because we were going to try to run it back. And and at the most crucial time, right, because we had just covered this already because it was Phil was on the hot seat. 80 to a no, don't matter. He's out. Uh, Jerry, Jerry Krause is about to dismantle his team. He was about to do it anyway before the, you know, before that season. Um, but just to see how much more pressure it put on him uh, when when Scotty uh, got that surgery so late and just to see how much they struggled behind the scenes. And and I thought that it was really eye opening to see how much the game had changed, too, at that point in time, because if you pay attention to like the dates and the scores of the first few games, and I think they went over four on their first four road trips or their first four road games, they had not scored 100 points yet in the season at that point in time. And it was damn near almost Christmas. Right. So, I mean, it's it's, you know, the things that like reminded me watching that was just how much the game has changed and just how how that situation unfolded with putting that much pressure on one guy, you know, waiting for, you know, waiting for Pippen to come back, you know, and to think that they still won the championship after after having such a rough start makes it even more remarkable because they they three they three peated twice. You know, well, it was it was truly about the team dynamic. Now you have all the right play, you know, all the right pieces in place. Mm-hmm. That's why you get some of these super talented teams that can score, but they can't do shit in the playoffs because they don't have the right system and the team dynamics in right. place. One of the things that I had forgotten about, Scotty was a draft day trade. Seattle, yeah. I was like, yeah. oh, that's right. So the dynasty, the Sonic, know like it may possibly never have happened. 
They may, they may have won some championships, but I think we can all pretty much guarantee they wouldn't have won six. Because you can always bring people in and win because they they dominated a couple of those six rings. The rest of them, they did just enough to win behind their offense and their defense. Right. And that's the difference between winning and losing. And that's one of the things where I'm like, oh, my God, that's right. His ass was almost a Seattle supersonic. Yeah. How much that have been? I thought about that, too, because he was drafted to Seattle before Gary Payton even got there, right? And then Sean Kemp got there a few years later. Gary Payton or Sean Kemp, if if they never traded Scottie Pippen, probably would have never been Super Sox, right? Yeah, We crazy. would have seen a completely different NBA. Oh, yeah, yeah. Jay, you remember last night you talked about, like, changing certain things and that butterfly effect. Yeah, the butterfly effect, yeah. yeah. It's so, like Back to the Future. Yeah, and then we get into like these hypotheticals. I really don't. Me personally, I like to go down that rabbit hole hypothetical because then we start talking about other stuff and start branching out. Because you know how you went from the we start talking about him getting drafted to Seattle, then he went Gary Payton, then you went Rayman, and then you're like, okay, what is this and this? And you know they might not even be. Yeah, no, I feel you. So much. It's so much different variables. Yeah. I mean, we may not be sitting here talking about Michael Jordan as the is arguably the greatest player of all time. Because so many things have to happen for greatness to happen. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't wait to next week when they when they talk about the worm. I, yeah, I, man, guys. Yeah, also, definitely waiting on Dennis. Yeah, let's do yep. this again next week if you guys are up for it. Yeah, man. We're running Definitely close to an hour. Um, one final thing I just wanted to say to kind of send us off is I was getting chills listening to the Bulls. You know, their PA announcer. Because for me, that was always a thing. And they set, they they're the, they started that and there will never be another thing like that. And a lot of teams do it across sports now, but there will never be another thing like, and now, from yeah. North Carolina. And it's just like, oh my God. Yeah. yeah. And uh, that guy, Ray Clay, the Bulls PA announcer for 12 seasons, they didn't renew his contract. And he feels it's because when Jordan came back, his first game back as a wizard, he announced him the same way he did as a Chicago Bull. And that was the last time he'd worked for the Bulls. So food for thought to send us out. That's how petty the uh, the upper management is coming full circle to the beginning of this conversation. Yeah. This call. Ah. All right, guys, I really appreciate you guys. Uh, thanks, Brian. Thanks, Vic. Thanks, Corey. Boom. Later, man. Catch Thank you, you for having us, man. Yeah, man. Thanks. Next week. Next week. Later. I want to thank Brian Kalma for joining the show. Good friend of mine, good sports guy. Special thanks to Victor DeGunde and, of course, Corey Harrison, host of the Out of Bounds podcast, the sports podcast. You can find him on Anchor. You can find him on Apple Pod Center. Hopefully we can connect with those guys. This has been the Hard Parking Podcast. Special thanks to our sponsors, DressUpBolts.com, NSX Channel, Talk Mobile, Higher Quality Detail, a.k.a. Ceramic Pro of Arizona, and The Last Era Brand. You can follow me on Instagram at NA2NSX or JHAE underscore travels. Also on Instagram, follow me on Twitter at Hard Parking Pod. Visit on Facebook, Hard Parking Media. Shoot me an email, hardparkingpodcast at gmail.com. If you like what you heard, please subscribe. Share this podcast with your friends. I can't grow unless you tell everybody how fantastic this podcast is. Let's do this. Let's grow this thing together. Talking about The Last Dance, which is the 1970... Fuck. Talking about The Last Dance, which is the 1997 to 1998 docuseries by ESPN.
Shut up!